everyone. Wonderful to see you all. This is very new to me. To see, I don't know, it's close to 50 little rectangles on my big screen. And um, I'm, I'm here in this uh, Doksan cabin that we have on the campus of uh, Crystal Mountain Zen Center. And I have, to, to keep the old world alive, I have uh, five participants in the room. They're sitting here. This is a very nice support. Thanks for being here. Um, so it's interesting. Usually we meet in, in a room like, you know, the Zendo in Boulder. And we create a shared sensorial context for, for a talk like this. And uh, now, um, under these conditions, we're creating a different context, and we're in this virtual room together. And uh, but it's also interesting for me to see all your personal contexts in in these pictures. You know, you're all in your own personal context. But I think that's actually true all the time. That uh, on on in a significant way we are in in our own context of our own body and mind and I think that's something to recognize about how how we are in the world and um, I've been thinking about how to speak what to speak about today and and I can't help but feel that it's necessary and appropriate to uh, to bring up this context that we're all in right now, this global pandemic that that affects us all. And um, the question I want to raise is how the Dharma, the, the teaching of, of the Buddha, the, uh, the teaching that Buddhism conveys to us, how the Dharma can support us in this in this situation that we're in, how we're handling this uh, pandemic. Um, you may be experiencing, you know, we all experience in our own context various emotions and feelings about it. Maybe there's some anxiety for you, fear even, fear of death um, for some of us, fear of losing a loved one who is far away, who we might not see, Maybe there's uh, anger or annoyance uh, at the situation that it's not going the way you want it to be. Maybe there's worry and uh, maybe there's uh, a sense of confusion or exhaustion. But maybe there's also relief or uh, a certain kind of joy of how the world appears differently in these times, how everything is... Uh, more still, uh, less, less busy, uh, a sense of retreat or how you can make use of this additional time if you have it uh, in a new way. So I find it really interesting that this uh, global emergency is a, is a disruption of our sense of normalcy, of how things uh, usually are. And all of a sudden, they're in a, in a very short time, they're quite different. And it shows us something about the world, how it's unpredictable and not 
necessarily in, a, in, in our control, in accord with how we want it to be. So the question I want to ask again is um, how the Dharma can uh, instruct us or support us in, in dealing with this situation, but really, you know, with any situation. It's just, uh, it seems to me that the situation we're in is highlighting something uh, that is actually always the case. Uh, that, for example, uh, death is just uh, always around the corner. We just don't notice it so much. Uh, illness is always around the corner. Um, being separated from people we love is always around the corner, uh, or actually the case, and so forth. So, um, I feel... Uh, that because we're all in our specific context, it's not so easy to talk about something that is specific to you and say, like, okay, so this is how you can handle this situation. This is how you can solve this uh, particular issue that is surfacing for you right now. Uh, so I feel necessarily the a talk like this uh, will have to be general, but I also trust because we're you all are practitioners and we've been practicing together for quite some time, that uh, you have started to learn to translate whatever teaching there is into your own uh, specific context and uh, see the responsibility you have for, for your own life and how you want to make, um, um, how you want to reshape it through the Dharma. So I want to bring up a, a really coarse distinction um, and we could talk about it, about this distinction for the rest of our lives. And actually, I think from it, the whole teaching of Buddhism unfolds. And I'm going to use the word consciousness and awareness. And I'm aware that these are just two words, and they could be replaced. You could find different words in in the place of these two words, consciousness and awareness. And it's it's important that we understand these words just as pointers to an actual experience. They're trying to um, point us to modalities of our mind, two different modalities of our mind, and a potential shift. And I want to explore how that shift can uh, maybe be that transformative support that we're seeking both for this uh, situation we're in right now or for any situation. So let's start with consciousness. And um, the job of consciousness is uh, to make the world cognizable, sequential, predictable, and meaningful. So Cognizable uh, means uh, there is uh, there is an immediate ex sensory experience of any kind. Uh, let's say you know, use my hand and you you know, I, I look at this object in front of my eyes, and uh, it has a certain sensorial has various sensorial qualities, and then I can call it uh, my hand. I can call it a hand.
And then uh, I can use that concept hand to refer to other objects that are like this, to all of your hands. They can all be called hands. And then I can, even uh, the paw of an animal, I can call the hand of the animal. And we would understand what I mean. And that thing that points at the numbers on the clock, I can call a hand and so forth. So there's some... This is, uh, I'm, I'm cognizing the world through these concepts that are overlaid everywhere. The entire world is overlaid with concepts. Or is it? I mean, that's a question. Maybe there are large gaps. Maybe there are many, many, many unnamed, non-cognized things. And then um, I can... I can recognize how my mind is creating time and sequence, and this happens after that. And when this happens after that, my mind is making a connection how that, which happens after this, is in connection with what went before. And so um, not only am I uh, creating sequence, I'm also creating, I'm, I'm searching for causality, patterns of causality. When this happens, that happens. When this happens and that happens, and it happens uh, with regularity, then uh, I can abstract a causal pattern. And when there is a causal pa pattern, the world becomes predictable. And then uh, our whole world of science is uh, trying to um, capture the world in causal patterns. And the world is actually largely predictable. For our purposes, it's amazing. You know, if it wasn't predictable, I don't think you would board an airplane. Like we have some trust in these uh, in these patterns of causality that we abstract from the world and that we can use to predict it. And And then, uh, finally, I said the job of consciousness is also to make the world meaningful. So based on cognizability and sequentiality and predictability, I can create a, a world, uh, a meaningful world, and tell a story. Tell a story about my own personal development as a person, how I started something, how it developed, where, I, where it ended, how that fulfilled a certain purpose. And I can and I can tell that story about world history. And I can also uh, tell a story of uh, the history of pandemics. And I can make sense of it that way. And it has happened before. And uh, one story is that this is really a punishment uh, of God of people who who are um, who are sinful. And I can cite many instances where people have made that interpretation, how God is punishing us with pandemics and is pointing us to our sinful behavior. Or I can tell the story of uh, epidemiology and uh, based on the science of viruses and bacteria and um, how they mutate and... Uh, how some of them are more contagious than others, and then a whole different story emerges of why this pandemic is uh, currently um, happening. And also, 
very different strategies of how to deal with the world arise from whether I interpret it as a punishment of God because then I, I think I should pray and change my behavior or whether it's caused by um, viruses because then the the answer is lockdowns and social distancing and uh, medical interventions. So I want to I just want to point us to this modality of the mind that I'm now calling consciousness and uh, I want to invite you to uh, to feel it because it's not just an abstraction it's actually something that's happening in your body mind. So if you take a moment to actually feel if you can sense that modality of your mind and what I mean by that is um, maybe you're you're trying to make sense of what I'm saying right now and, and how does that feel like in your mind right now that you're trying to make sense of what I'm saying you know maybe you are in agreement or you have some objections you you have your own opinions about it or you may think that what is he talking about this this is not what I expected in it, it, whatever you're thinking, it, it, that modality of consciousness is actually happening right now and is generating a certain feel in your mind. And um, or maybe you are thinking about the pandemic and and you have a sense of how how it actually how you've been drawn into trying to make sense of it, understanding its origin. Uh, forming opinions of how it should be handled, thinking about the politics around it, and uh, and and maybe there is an emotional tone to this activity of consciousness too. There could be anxiety, like um, that. So much in the world is uncertain that whatever you're thinking about it, it never quite captures uh, what's actually happening. And maybe that's disconcerting for you, or maybe you're already used to that and you're pretty relaxed. Or there could be a sense of overwhelm where it feels like, geez, I, there's so much information and I can't handle it all. So I have to block some of it out. Uh, it's, it's too much to process. Or maybe there's a sense of delight, you know, if you think you're pretty smart, then you could feel that your your consciousness is actually giving you a sense of control because you you know how to think about anything and everything. And so uh, it feels kind of great that we can understand the world so well, yeah, or that maybe you can understand the world so well. Um, so whatever it is, I want to point you to this to this feel of of a mind that approaches the world with making it cognizable, sequential, predictable, and meaningful. And then there's this other modality of mind, let's call it awareness. which is, um, it's kind of difficult to point to. And so, it's actually kind of easier to point to it through negatives, 
like it's that which is non-conceptual it, it's it's the stuff that you use to that gets used for conceptualization it's this it's the immediacy it's the non-conceptual immediacy of this hand that I'm then calling a hand and then it's it's a non-sequential immediacy and it's it's uh, it's perceiving the world through how it appears moment after moment in a yes like our mind tends to see all the connections between the moments but if we suspend that for a moment there is a is a feeling there can be a feeling how everything is just kind of happening on its own one moment after another and it's like we are making the connection later but who knows how this moving around of attention that creates our moments is really connected and then if we appreciate how things just appear out of nowhere like this virus and its consequences then we can have a sense how the world is quite unpredictable it it, it constantly uh, throws stuff at us or we're constantly actually interacting with it in unpredictable ways too And, uh, and the world is uh, this world of, 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 of awareness or we can also say of non-conceptual, non-sequential unpredictable immediacy is, uh, is actually meaningless because as long as we're not telling a story about it it's just what's happening So as you can see, it's it's uh, I'm I'm trying to approach this modality of mind through negating what it is. I mean, by saying what it is not. But we it we have a practice of zazen, and zazen is actually a way to um, to enter into this world of awareness and immediacy. So when you sit down in zazen, you allow your sensorial experiencing to be exactly what it is you let it come and go you're not seeking for particular connections you're not trying to conceptualize it you're not trying to predict what will happen next and uh it's not a world of meaning, but it's uh, it's it's a world of, of of fullness, of sensorial fullness. There's there's sensations in the body. There's uh, sounds that come and go. Now, a, a typical and very time honored access to this zazen mind of awareness and immediacy is to bring attention to your breathing and so we bring attention you know when we say breathing it's already a concept so I'd like you to 
consider what breathing actually is. Breathing is, I would say, it's the sensations that we call breathing. It's the sensations of contraction and expansion. It's it, There's also a sensation of delight, or a feeling of delight, the sensations that we call delight. The delight of, uh, of breathing aliveness. <clears throat> There, there were birds uh, singing outside um, this hut in the garden. I can hear them right now. And um, in the midst of my talking, there is the, there's the delight of hearing the birds. And the, and the delight of hearing the birds is not woven into any particular story right now. It's just a sensorial delight. So this is this is the the feel the feel of awareness immediacy we could say that we cultivate in zazen and it's uh, accessible to us at all times it's accessible through a very dedicated practice of zazen but it's also accessible to us through what we call mindfulness because uh, at any time you can take attention and how it's a how it's glued into the mind of consciousness and bring it back to this sensorial immediacy. And if, even if it's just for a moment, right, it can happen at all times. You can feel the seat under your butt or you can feel the air moving around. Um, you can, I, maybe you can see it if you're in gallery view, but Sam is... Uh, showing himself in front of the ocean and a palm tree. And uh, maybe that's a virtual background or, you know, it looks like a virtual background. But maybe he's sitting there. But if he's, if he's experiencing what I'm seeing, he seems to be experiencing, then, um, you know, he will feel some air. And that's delightful. <clears throat> Probably. Heard somebody has a fan on, you know, the, the air is moving too, maybe. Okay, so so this is available to us at all times, and and we could say the whole teaching, the whole teaching of Buddhism unfolds from this distinction between consciousness and awareness. And sometimes there's um, there's a kind of black and white understanding of this. Uh, it's like we need to throw out all of the concepts and we need to reject the linearity of time and uh, we have to never predict the world and uh, and see it as completely meaningless. You know, then then we're truly in the camp of emptiness and. Uh, but I think it's it's more like standing on two feet and uh, you decide you, you actually you, you form an intention to practice to shift your weight to the mind of awareness. 
because you're curious enough to try out what happens when 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 you do it, or because you are tired of the world of consciousness, or because you have some insight into how consciousness is very limited, and you want to try out what it takes to uh, recontextualize that limitation of consciousness in in a, through a different realm, which we now calling awareness. In either in either uh, either way, uh, you form the intention to practice this shift to the mind of awareness. <coughs> and there are certain fruits uh, that come from making this shift. And sometimes I'm, I'm afraid that um, we're trying to we're trying to implement uh, this teaching in our life too quickly, or we have expectations that it will change something overnight and then solve all our problems or something like that. Um, I, I would recommend that you give it some time. Uh, that that the uh, that the path of making this shift is uh, is rewarding in itself. That you know, consistently staying with this idea of making the shift. This could be a regular zazen practice, or it can be uh, a, an, an intention to to integrate mindfulness practice into your into your daily life. Little pauses here and there where you intentionally make the shift. So let me um, talk about potential fruits or arenas in which this shift um, is relevant. So we could say that the you know the core the core interest that Buddhism has is to liberate us from suffering. Now, um, if you've listened to me. Recently, you know, in the past two or three years, uh, I've, I've said this a lot: that suffering, we can define suffering as as experiential intensity times reactivity, or in a different version, wanting the world to be other than it is. In other words, our bodies and minds are a receptacle for intense experiencing all the time. We are open in this way. We are sensitive beings that receive um, intensity all the time. There's not much you can do about that. You can hold yourself away from intensity, but that usually limits your life in uh, undesirable ways because then you're not experiencing much. But if you're an open, curious being who wants to venture into the world and experience stuff, there will be intensity. Right. And then, the question is, how do we relate to that intensity? Uh, if it's positive, you want more of it. If it's negative, you want less of it. If this is the, if this is the modality in which we're operating, in which we resist 
um, intensity when it's unpleasant and um, and grasp grasp it when it's pleasant, then uh, then that is then that is what we can call suffering. So Buddhism makes a very clear statement about how to approach liberation from suffering, which is. Yes, we could do something about, uh, uh, about intensity here and there, but fundamentally we can't do much about intensity. It's not in our control. But what is in our control is the reactivity toward it. So we're, we're trying to um, establish a non as much as possible a non-reactive mind, which is an accepting mind, accepting the fact that intensity comes and goes. Now, I, I, one thing I find interesting is, and you can try it out for yourself, investigating in your own mind how this mind of resistance or reactivity is um, stabilized by, um, by certain belief systems. It's stabilized by, by the modality of consciousness. It, it's, it's, it, uh, I'm functioning within certain beliefs that tell me that I shouldn't be experiencing certain things or that certain things really shouldn't happen in the world. And you can see it now in the pandemic, you know, how the, the mind of consciousness is constantly activated to, um, uh, to create, say, blame. You know, if, if this person hadn't done this, then this ha- wouldn't have happened. Or if the Chinese uh, had acted like this, or if the American government had done this. So, again, if you tune into the feel of consciousness, it's like, because I'm not wanting to feel something which is happening in the world right now, I am, the, the mind of consciousness is activated to create a sense of control or a sense of rejection or resistance that gives me the mm, some sense of um, distance from distance from what's happening. It sounds like a small matter, but I think it's uh, a massive change to drop this mind of consciousness and and allow yourself to be so open that any intensity that might come your way is actually something that you're inviting. In principle. I mean, we have to be practical, right? If, if uh, you also stay away from certain intensities. But intensities that you actually know are not really harmful, like experiencing grief, the sensations that we call grief are not really harming us. So we can uh, actually afford to grieve when that's uh, appropriate. And uh, we can actually allow ourselves to experience anxiety, which I, I often like to interpret as an, uh, an appropriate, uh, appropriate uh, way of dealing, no, an appropriate uh, sign of uncertainty. So when there's uncertainty, for most people, there's anxiety. <clears throat> because you don't know what's going to happen. 
That could be strong anxiety or it could just be a tinge of anxiety. Whatever it is, you, we can actually allow that anxiety, or the sensations that we call anxiety, to take hold of our body and it's not necessary to freak out. So freedom or liberation from suffering in this way would mean to um, be this very sensitive, open human being that allows the world to touch me. Okay, and then um, a second fruit... We could say I'm, I'm using these big words. Um, I'm sorry, but you know, the second fruit, along with freedom, would be wisdom. And one of the uh, insights that we can have from distinguishing the modality of consciousness from the modality of awareness is to realize that all our conceptions sequentially organized into predictability that creates meaning, that they're all constructions, that they are an overlay over the sensorial immediacy that is always coming and going and happening. And that these constructions are very useful in certain contexts, but that they never capture the, uh, the, the totality of the world. You know, we know this, um, we know that our sensorial apparatus, our seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, and then also our conceptualizing mind um, isn't is only the, a piece of the whole pie. It's um, there are animals that perceive sound in a different range or a, a different kind of color spectrum that isn't visible or audible for us. So. We live, uh, as, as, as we can say, we live in a mystery, surrounded by mystery. But not only is that mystery not fully accessible to us, that mystery is, the complexity of that mystery is, is actually us. We can't fully understand the mystery, but we live it every moment. So there's something, there's a, a something mysterious, mysterious uh, totality through which we function. And to, and to see the limitation of the mo modality of consciousness, by implication, is also an and a doorway into noticing that we are functioning in a wider, mysterious context.
And so, and, and so I would say, this is how it's related to liberation from suffering, my willingness to be so open to the world that the world can deliver these intensities through my body-mind is actually to be as fully open as I can to this mystery to deliver its information. I may not be able to immediately make sense of it conceptually, but I, I can be willing to let it let it touch me and I can be willing to function through it and and let it in as fully as possible, so to speak. And then I can see that all of the stories, meaningful stories that consciousness uh, creates and can create or may create, might create, because there are so many possibilities, that they're all just functional constructions to make... uh, uh, collective human life possible to bring people together in a shared story. A story. So wisdom, I I think, is both the freedom from not confusing these stories with reality. To see that they're that they're just stories, and to also develop the skill to create this. To, to co-create the stories that are most beneficial to both us and uh, others. So this may sound a bit abstract, but, you know, we, we'd have to translate into our own uh, lives how um, we get caught in, in narrative constructions and see them or feel them as reality, and how... What kind of mm, what kind of detachment from that story do you need in order to see it as a story and consider the possibility that a different story could be told? A story that is less um, that that creates less suffering. Anyway, I um, I see this talk in conjunction with the. Uh, question and answer that we can have afterwards and uh, then also there is a, uh, an afternoon discussion group um, where we can continue the conversation so I'll leave it at this um, here but we can, you know, what I just indicated that we can explore this in our own lives where we are caught in the construction uh, of, of concepts and stories is something, you know, we could talk about in more personal terms. So uh, so the final point um, I'd like to make is uh, another fruit, we could say, of, um, of making this shift, shifting the weight, is compassion. And I... I think the most fruitful metaphor for... to understand the... The Buddhist notion of compassion is resonance. And I've mentioned this before, but something like, you know, when you have a when you have a bell in a room and you ring it and you have another instrument, another bell, let's say, you ring one bell and then the second bell resonates. So it's not the same sound that the bell resonates in, but it's the same frequency. So 
I, I see my own body and mind as this second bell that resonates with everything else that's going on in the world. Not just suffering, but, you know, also this this room that I'm in has, you know, resonates in the sense that it creates a certain kind of feeling in me, that the way this room, this particular room is, or the way this particular face looks, uh, creates a certain kind of resonance in me. And uh, I see the I see the basic skill of compassion as being willing to resonate with everything. And a realistic a realistic look at my life is that I'm not willing to resonate with everything. Well, maybe I'm theoretically willing to resonate with everything, but there are there are events in the world and in relationship with others where um, certain behaviors or certain events um, bring up so much intensity, unwanted feelings, that I'm finding way uh, that I'm finding ways to not feel them fully. One one. Um, one generally um, accessible way to disconnect from resonance that's happening actually all the time is to just go into the modality of consciousness and think about the world rather than feel the world. So I can escape into my head, so to speak, and just, you know, intellectualize or... Think about stuff. Make theories. Create stories. And the, the the advantage of that move is that I don't have to feel the resonance so fully. And the disadvantage of that strategy is that um, I'm not going to be fully connected with the world. I've created partial separation. Yes, I'm still I'm still there and I'm still talking to you, but I'm actually not really willing to feel what you're saying because that would that would uh, create feelings in me that I don't want to feel. So the openness, <clears throat> excuse me, the openness to the world, the openness to other people, the willingness to resonate with them and to actually experience compassion, in the end is always an openness to my own feelings, my own sensations. If I was willing to feel all the sensations and all the feelings that come up as the world resonates with me, I'd be open to, to uh, uh, the people around me. So before, I think before we talk about compassionate action, which is maybe the skillful way to translate resonance into beneficial action for others, compassionate action understood as a skillful way to translate resonance into beneficial 
uh, action for others, we we could see that the that the capacity we we actually need to develop is our our more and more full fully developed. Uh, we need to develop a more and more full uh, willingness to resonate. To stay, you could say, to stay present with whatever happens in this, on the level of, um, on the sensation level of my experiencing. And then see how this, and then see how that, how that experiencing uh, can be, can be translated into, into beneficial action. So there in under conditions like we're now in this pandemic where there is so much suffering both in us you know various kinds fear anxiety annoyance boredom um exhaustion and so forth I've named uh I've named some before and you know what you're feeling And then also uh, in our immediate environment, people around us, you may be closer to your family right now. Uh, you're kind of stuck with them. I, I, I sometimes feel, you know, we can get out of each other's way. And then in certain situations, like let's say this one under lockdown, you're, you're stuck with someone and then you are kind of stuck with more resonance. Like there's, there's just more coming because you can't avoid like you can't avoid your kids because they're not going to school or you can't avoid your partner because they're in the house all the time and then you have you have more resonance going on like you can't get away from it you know you might you might want to just get out of the house and uh you know, take a break from your partner, but he, here she is, or here he is, you know. <clears throat> so this is also an opportunity, uh, it's an, uh, an opportunity to, to I, what I would call, update the relationship in various ways, because certain parts of it that have been compartmentalized and left out of the relationship because you were able to separate from them through your kind of external behavior you can't separate from them in the same way so now it'll be a, a practice of seeing how much you can tolerate what's actually happening on the sensation level rather than defending against it with some story of how this behavior is wrong or how this other person really should be different and so forth it's very enticing to do that I know from my own experience Okay, maybe this is... Did you hear this? Yeah, maybe this is the bell to uh, end the talk. <laughs> I'll take it as the bell to end the talk. Um, but I would be delighted if... Um, 
If you came back, I think we're having, Matt can tell us, 10 minutes or so of a break, and then we can have some question and answer and discussion. And uh, I'd be curious to hear what your comments and questions are. Thank you very much. Stay present with whatever happens in this, on the level of... Um, on the sensation level of my experiencing. And then see how this, and then see how that, how that experiencing uh, can be, can be translated into, into beneficial action. So there, in, under conditions like we're now, this pandemic where there is so much suffering, both in us, you know, various kinds, fear, anxiety, annoyance, boredom, um, exhaustion, and so forth. I've named, uh, I've named some before, and you know what you're feeling. And then also uh, in our immediate environment, people around us, you may be closer to your family right now. Uh, you're kind of stuck with them. I, I, I sometimes feel, you know, we can get out of each other's way. And then in certain situations, like let's say this one under lockdown, you're, you're stuck with someone and then you are kind of stuck with more resonance. Like this. There's just more coming because you can't avoid... Like, you can't avoid your kids because they're not going to school. Or you can't avoid your partner because they're in the house all the time. And then you have... You have more resonance going on. Like, you can't get away from it. You know, you might... You might want to just get out of the house and... Uh, you know, take a break from your partner, but he, here she is, or here he is, you know. <clears throat> so this is also an opportunity, uh, it's an, uh, an opportunity to, to I, what I would call, update the relationship in various ways, because certain parts of it that have been compartmentalized and left out of the relationship because you were able to separate from them through your kind of external behavior. You can't separate from them in the same way, so now there'll be a, a practice of seeing how much you can tolerate what's actually happening on the sensation level, rather than defending against it with some story of how this behavior is wrong or how this other person really should be different and so forth. It's very enticing to do that, I know from my own experience. Okay, maybe this is... Did you hear this? Yeah, maybe this is the bell to uh, end the talk. <laughs> I'll take it as the bell to end the talk. Um, but I would be delighted if... Um, 
If you came back, I think we're having, uh, Matt can tell us, 10 minutes or so of a break, and then we can have some question and answer and discussion. And uh, I'd be curious to hear what your comments and questions are. Thank you very much.